Um, thank you for joining us here for Good Friday. Um, I hope that we just have a fun time, a, a, an interesting conversation, really dive in uh, to God's word here. Now, there's something I need to make very, very clear before we go any further into the Good Friday story. Um, and it's, it's that Good Friday can't be just a story. It, it can't be, it shouldn't ever be that. This is more than just a story. This is more than just a collection of verses that we go through once a year in remembrance of something. No, this is a real historical and personal event. It's personal for me and possibly billions of others across the world. And it's personal to God. And so as we go through this story, I, I want us to remember that, that, that this isn't just a story. This isn't a fairy tale. This is real. This is history that's recorded here in these words. And this is hopefully for you a personal event like it is for me. Now, tonight we're going to talk about uh, the death of Jesus, just to put it straight. But there's some lead-ups that is required for this because all of human history, until, as, since sin has entered the world, world, has been leading up to this point. Since sin entered, the, the separation between man and God was created, and God desperately sought that connection back. And so he set into motion this beautiful plan, and some 2,000 years ago, it, it started coming to a head. That thousands of people, nations uh, risen up and destroyed have gone by. And now this man named Jesus, who is both fully God and fully man, not half and half. He's 100% God, 100% math. And uh, if that math freaks you out, don't worry. I, I asked some experts, experts and it, it checks out. But the, the man God Jesus has arrived on the scene. And since his birth, it, it's been nothing short of a miracle, literally. Since his conception, he was born to this, this perfect couple for this, Mary and Joseph, the Virgin Mary. And he, he's born to this essentially poor family in a cave. And from his conception until now, it's just been nothing but miracles. I mean, even when he was born, angels appeared to shepherds and a star led wise men to go find Jesus. Even as a, as a young boy, he was in the temples going toe to toe. That's not even fair to say. He was smoking uh, these, these religious leaders. He was blowing them away with his knowledge and understanding of God, uh, of Scripture. And, and this has been the life of Jesus. And he grew up into a man. He began his ministry, calling people to, to go with him, to change the world. And these were just ordinary guys for the most part. Some fishermen, a tax collector. And this has been Jesus' life. He's been healing people. He's been teaching people prophesying. He's taken small amounts of bread and multiplied it to feed tens of thousands of people. He literally raised a man from the dead and he's been doing amazing, wonderful things during this ministry. And his following grew. But as his following grew, so did his enemies. And these people, these religious leaders sought his death. They sought his destruction. And so where we're going to start this story today is, is in Matthew. Um, before we jump in, I'd ask that you can uh, please pray with me. And as I do, I just want us to remember that again, this is a personal event, not just for me, but for everyone. So let's pray. Father God, we just thank you so much. God, we thank you so much for your son, Jesus, that you, you sent to, to live for us and to, as we'll see God die for us. I pray tonight as we look into the, the event of Good Friday, God, that this wouldn't just be another story, that we'd recognize it's 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 massive importance in our lives, in the history of the world, God. And I pray that we'll just walk away tonight closer to you and closer to your son. We love you and praise your son's name. Amen. Now, remember, this is a personal story. I'm going to be reading out of Matthew here in the NIV. And so here's Jesus. 
his time has come. And so he, he takes a few of the disciples and he heads to the garden to Gethsemane to pray. And he brings a few of them with him. And he, he's so stressed. Luke says that sweat uh, becomes blood. He's sitting there praying and he's literally sweating blood of, of the pressure. And he, he's praying to God to take this cup away from him. He knows his death, his destruction is right around the corner. Uh, but still being obedient to God, he, he follows through with it. And while he's there, the disciples that he brought with him uh, decide to take a nap and they fall asleep. And while they're sleeping, the betrayal of Jesus begins. These things set in motion begin to unfold. And it, it gets real. I know one of the biggest struggles for me and for many people is this idea that, that God just doesn't understand. That how could God, who sits so high up in heaven, ever possibly understand our struggle and here Jesus, being both fully God and both fully man, completely understands our struggle. We're going to see Jesus go through so, so much more than just his death. There's so much more to this, this event than just his crucifixion. While it's an important, massive part of this, there's so much more to this. And so I want to pick it up. Uh, it's in Matthew chapter 26, starting in verse 56. Again, the Judas, one of those closest to him, has sold Jesus out for a few pieces of silver. And he's come and he's brought the chief priest and the guards with him with swords and clubs. And he comes in and they arrest Jesus and he and it says this, but this all has taken place. This is Jesus speaking. That the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. This is the important part. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. So now in a, a very short amount of time, Jesus has been betrayed by a man who's been with in the last several years, who's seen Jesus heal people and teach people and just love on people and raise a person from the dead. I mean, he's seen that and he betrays Jesus, but on top of his betrayal, now he's been completely abandoned. Maybe you've been in that situation where you really needed your, your family or your friends. You needed those closest to you to just be there for you. And when push came to shove, they left you. They ran away to, to save their own skin or because maybe you just feel like they didn't love you. And, and that's the exact boat Jesus is in. They, they fled. They didn't fight for him. Uh, one of the disciples takes and cuts off a dude's ear. But after that, he's alone with the enemy. And that's the situation Jesus is in. So they arrest him and they, they take him to the Sanhedrin, which is just the, the group of the religious leaders. And kind of like these go-between between the religious side of things and the law. And so they start questioning Jesus, who, by the way, is innocent. Like Jesus wasn't supposed to be arrested. Like there's no case against him here. And they begin questioning him. And Jesus is silent the whole time and they're getting frustrated and they're looking for anybody to just say anything about him. That if we can just get this guy to crack, we'll get him and we'll murder him and he'll be out of our hair and we can go back to the way things were. And so it comes to this in verse 64 as they're, they're questioning him. Or verse 63, sorry. It says, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are Messiah, the son of God. You have said so, Jesus replied. But I say to all of you, from now on, you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of the mighty one and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, he has spoken blasphemy. Why do you need any more witnesses? Look now, you have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? He is worthy of death, they answered. He is worthy of death. They say to a completely innocent man, but who is far more than innocent. Again, these are the same people Jesus has been healing. These are the same people that he fed. 
These are the same people he's been teaching. This is the same people that he's raised the dead for. And here they are saying, no, no, let's kill him. Verse 67, then they spit in his face and struck him with their fists. Others slapped him and said, prophesy to us, Messiah, who hit you? And so now Jesus has been betrayed by Judas for, for money. He's been betrayed by him, sold out to his death. All the disciples run away and fled from him. And so he's been abandoned. Now he's been falsely accused, falsely arrested, humiliated, and his beatings have begun. As he can do nothing there to defend himself without reoccurring more, more issues, more, more pain for him, he just sits there and takes it. The, the spit in his face, being struck in the face. I don't know if you've ever been punched in the mouth. It doesn't feel good. It's not something you want to sit there and take over and over again. And there is Jesus doing this willingly. Being humiliated by the ones he healed. Being beaten by the ones that he loved on. Then it goes on to Peter who vehemently denies Jesus. I mean, to the point where he's calling down curses, saying he doesn't know Jesus, just as Jesus prophesied. And as he does this and realizes what he does, he breaks down in tears. He begins to weep and then Judas goes and he tries to give the money back, realizing what he's done. And he's so stricken with guilt and with shame that he takes his own life. And so now one of the men closest to Jesus doubles down on his abandonment and denial. And another one, the one who betrayed him, takes his own life. And the events continue to unfold. And so the, the, the Sanhedrin takes Jesus before Pilate, who's just the governor of that area. He's the Roman official who oversees this, this area of the world of the Roman Empire. And so Pilate begins to question him and ask him, hey man, what's going on here? What are you doing? And again, Jesus gives no answer and it's, it's blowing Pilate's mind. He's freaking out over this, that, that this guy who's on death row essentially is just remaining silent. It's like nothing he's ever seen before. Matthew chapter 27, starting verse 15. Uh, this is where this story becomes very personal for me. Uh, these words that we're about to read are, are very real. Again, this is a very real historical event. It's a very real personal event. It says this. Now, it was the governor's custom at that festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Jesus Barabbas. So when the crowd would, had gathered, Pilate asked them, which one do you want me to release to you? Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Messiah? For he knew that it was out of self-interest that they had handed Jesus over to him. And so the time has come and this is Jesus' opportunity to get out of it. I mean, it makes sense. Barabbas, as we know from historians, was an anarchist, someone who started riots, who was a murderer, who was a violent man for all intents and purposes. And they have to choose the crowd, the Jews. Again, the very people Jesus healed and fed and raised from the dead and loved on and, and bonded with and healed and cast out demons for. Those same people have to choose between the, the rioter, the anarchist, the murderer, or the healer and the teacher. For me, it's an obvious choice. But as we'll see here, that's, that's not necessarily the case. When Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him a message, don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I had suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you, asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called the, 
the Messiah, Pilate asked. They all answered, crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed? Asked Pilate. They all shouted louder, crucify him. This is where the story becomes very personal for me. When I read a book, when I listen to music, when I watch a movie, when I, when I read scripture, I always wondered, man, if I was there, what would I do? Who would I have been if I was there? It's a common thing that we hear when talking about Adam and Eve in the garden. And well, if I was Adam, I, I would have never taken the fruit. Or if I was Eve, I never would have touched it. And we'd all be living perfectly. You wouldn't. But we, we, we put ourselves in these shoes. And so I, I picture myself there. And so often when, I, when I've heard this event retold, the, the, the story of Good Friday, so many people put us in the place of Barabbas that it was our destiny to die, that it was our place to die, and yet Jesus takes our place. And yes, that is true, but for me, that, that, that's not how I felt. When I read this, this isn't is what I see when I, when I hear this. For me, when I, when I look at this story, I just picture myself in the crowd. I just picture myself standing there, and there is the Messiah, the man who's been healing me, who, who's been loving my people, who's been casting out demons, who's just been a good man who's been a loving man. And then there's the murderer, the violent man. And I I picture myself in that crowd and and I wonder what I would have done. But I don't have to wonder because this plays itself out every single day of our lives. Every single day of our lives, we have a choice to make. We have a decision to make every day, every moment. We we have this decision to, to choose life, to choose healing, to choose love, to choose teaching and correction. We have a decision to choose between that or we have a decision to choose death and violence and turmoil and chaos. And so when I picture myself in this story, I know for a fact that I would have screamed out crucifying because every day when I choose to walk in sin, that's exactly what I'm doing. I'm choosing to cry out crucify him. It's a very personal event for me. That's my Messiah. That's the one who loves me. That's the one who, who died for me. That's the one who, who lived this amazing life so that I can have a model to follow yet. So often I, I choose the Barabbases, whatever it is, whatever addiction, whatever sin, whatever hurt, whatever just burden that weighs, whatever guilt or shame, whenever I choose to take that, I, I am forced to remember this. That again, I, I chose Barabbas and, and again, I chose to crucify him. This is real for each and every one of us. This is a decision that we all make every day, whether we realize it or not. The choice between Barabbas, death, and Jesus' life. But the story continues. It said, when Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that in- instead an uproar was starting, he took water, washed his hands in front of the crowd, and said, I am innocent of this man's blood. He said, it is your responsibility. All the people answered, his blood is on us and our children. Then he released Barabbas to them. He released death and chaos on them. But he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. So there's Jesus, the crowds chanting, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Give us death. Give us pain. Give us violence. Give us chaos. I'd rather have that than life. And Jesus goes willingly to be flogged. This flogging isn't, it's intense 
to say the least. They would whip people with a cat of nine tails that would have the bones of animals or metal hooks in them so that when it would catch the flesh, it would literally tear the flesh from the bone. When they were filming The Passion of the Christ, the actor playing Jesus had these pads on him. And uh, while they were filming the scene, he missed. The guy using the whip missed and, and caught the real actor and it severely wounded him. Most people didn't survive the floggings Jesus went through. My Bible teacher said that even as the wounds were healing, they would place a a blanket or a sheet on them. And as the scabs would die, they'd rip it off so the wounds would remain open. When they screamed, crucify him, they sent him not just to his death. They added on to the humiliation. They added on to the abandonment. They added on to the suffering of Jesus. But it continues. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the paratorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. They twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand. They knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, king of the Jews, they said. They spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put on his clothes on him. They led him away to crucify him. So there the soldiers are taking a, a crown of thorns and digging it into his head and take a staff and they beat him in the head with it again and again and they mock him and they spit on him and they beat him. And again, Jesus chose this willingly. He didn't have to do it. He was praying into the garden of Gethsemane, begging to his father, dad, please, I don't want you. If there's any other way, I'll do it if I have to, but God, if there's any other way. And so here's Jesus doing this willingly and they take him to be crucified, to carry his cross, which I don't know how heavy it was. Way too heavy for anybody to carry, let alone a man who's just been flogged and beaten over and over again. And they they take him to the place called Golgotha, which is known as the the place of the skull. And they they put him there and they they drive the nails through his, his hands and through his feet. They hang a sign up above his head mocking him. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. There's those next to him who who are mocking him and hurling insults at him. And he's stripped naked there to die. By the way, his mom's there. We read in John. That his own mother, who he loved dearly, that John is there with him to watch him die. I can't imagine Mary's horror witnessing her son Bones exposed, wounded, bleeding, stripped naked, and being mocked. I I can never imagine the pain that Mary must have been feeling in that moment. And so there Jesus is. And they continue to mock him. And they continue to, to, to laugh at him. It says, from noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. And about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama shabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Father, Father, why have you abandoned me? He's crying out to his father as he's there. He's been abandoned physically. He's been abandoned emotionally. He's been betrayed. But now... Where's his dad in all this? And I can't imagine that kind of pain. I can't imagine anybody going through this kind of pain physically, psychologically, emotionally, spiritually. The weight Jesus was bearing, and again, I picture myself in the crowd. 
I had a dream once that I was a, a young boy and I was on the road that's headed to Golgotha and it was Jesus carrying his cross. And I, I remember in that dream, I was a panicked boy and I was running, trying to force my way through the crowd, begging, stop, please. Like, don't, he's innocent. Like, don't, don't kill this man. Like, please just spare him. Take me instead. That's my cross anyway. And I, I had this horrible nightmare and just slamming my, my hands into the backs of people, just trying to push through the crowd. And no matter what I did, I, I couldn't break through. And I remember in the dream and, and even waking up, just collapsing on my knees going, God, Why? God, why? Because this isn't just a demonstration of of Jesus' love to be willing to do this. There's a father who willingly gave up his son for this. And I, I ask myself why over and over again. I've asked myself why all throughout human history as I sit in history class in school and look at all the horrible atrocities we've done. And I, I, I go to school and I see how we treat each other and I see the news and I just see that, well, God, why would you do this? Like, why would your son go through all of this? And time and time again, you know what God tells me? My son, because I love you. And I want more for you than that. I want more for, from you than, than the atrocities. That I, I desire this relationship with you. When I, when I look at this story and, and I see Jesus going through all this and I remember the why, because sin has a price. Sin is anything that, that separates you from God. Jesus in the Bible lays out very specific ones, but man, sin is anything that, that gets in the way between, between you and God. And, and God was so bothered by that sin and he knew that the cost of sin was death that he said, you know, I, I don't want to see the people whom I love die. So I'm going to send the one I love the most to die for them. And not just die for them, to to live for them, to be betrayed for them, to be abandoned for them, to be beaten and humiliated for them. Why? Because I love them, because God loves you and he wants you to know that. That when the lies creep into your head at night, that man, I'm not loved, that I'm not forgiven. That's a lie from the pit of hell because God says, look, Jesus says, look, if I didn't love you, do you think I would go through this for you? Do, do you think I, I, I just did it just because? No, no, no. No one willingly goes to get flogged and humiliated and beaten just because. Because of great love. It says in Romans that God demonstrated his perfect love for us. That while we were still sinners, he sent his son, his son Jesus to die for us. This story of Good Friday, of Jesus' abandonment, betrayal, death, it, it has to be personal. It can't be anything short of historic in our lives. This is case in point to why God loves you. This is case in point to proving you are forgiven. Because it says this in verse 15, when Jesus cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. God himself ripped that thing in half. The earth shook and the rocks split and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people had died were raised to life. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, surely he was the son of God. Good Friday is historic and personal. 
says, this is the reason why I'm alive. Not just in some weird sense, literally. This is my, my purpose. And I pray that this is for, for us, this is our purpose. Because what this does is, Jesus' life is, a, is an entire example. It's an example of God's love to us. True, sacrificial, unconditional love. To go through this hell for someone is nothing short of love. This is the reason for our salvation. And I love this idea of of Jesus being a savior because he is our savior. But here's the beauty of this, is Jesus isn't just our savior from hell. I know when we talk about salvation, it it goes end game pretty quick, right? Which it's true that because of the death of Jesus, that if, if we confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts that Christ is Lord, we will be saved, period. And I love that there's a period there, not a comma or an ant or a but. It's a period, meaning that's it. What I love about that is, yes, it means we have a, a, a ticket in heaven. And we have a, a seat at the Father's table. And it, it means I don't have to fear hell anymore. I don't have to worry about that internal torment. But what I love about Jesus is he's not just your savior at the end of your life. He's your savior today. He's your savior today. Jesus wants to save you from whatever you're going through today. Not at the end of your life when you're on your deathbed. Not when you're up in heaven. No, no, no. God wants to save you from your depression today. God wants to free you from the anxiety today. God wants to rebuild broken ship, broken relationships today. He wants to mend you today. No matter what you've done, no matter what's been done to you, no matter what you've been through, God loves you. This is case and point. That when Jesus did this, he did this ahead of time. He already knew all the things we were going to do wrong. And yet he still did it. There is no asterisks and fine print to read. He did this knowing that, Andrew, when you're this age, you're going to do this, you're going to do this, you're going to do this, you're going to do this wrong. No, he still loved me. He still died for me seeing that. He still died for you seeing that. Jesus is here for you today. He was there for you as a child. Maybe we didn't see him. Maybe we we were so blinded by whatever we were going through, so distracted, we didn't see him then. But he was there. He's here today, and he's going to be here tomorrow. Jesus bared this burden so that we can know that we are loved, that we are forgiven. Guilt and shame don't have a hold on you anymore. If you accept the free gift of Jesus Christ, of, of his death on the cross, if you accept that, if you believe that in your heart, confess it right now, wherever you're watching this from, wherever you're seeing this, say it out loud. Christ is Lord, and believe it in your heart. Done. You get that love. You get that forgiveness and that mercy and that grace. It's right there for you. You are loved. You are forgiven. I am loved. I am forgiven. Wherever you're at, I just want you to say that out loud. I don't care where you're watching this from. I don't care who's around. Just say it out loud. I am loved and I am forgiven. This is the reason for this. This is the reason why this is so personal for me. This is my evidence to man that I am loved and not just by anybody. I am loved by God, the creator of the universe, the guy who spoke and planets are formed. That's the beauty that we have. So as we go, uh, we have another song of worship. I want us to take that time to pause, to have a break, and to remember this. 
that this is case in point for your love and your forgiveness. That when you ask yourself, why would Jesus do this? Because he loves you. Why? How do I know God loves me? Because his son Jesus did this willingly for you. If you're holding on to something, you're like, man, I, I want salvation from this addiction or from this hurt or from this shame or from this thing that happened to me or this thing, whatever it is, give us a call. Write it down. Pray about it. We want to go through this journey of life with you. And God is the center point of that relationship. So please pray with me and then we'll get into some worship. Father God, you are so awesome. God, I can't imagine your, your view in heaven as you watched your son suffer like that. That a loving father would love us so much that you would watch the son that you love the most go through that so that we can have a relationship with you. God, I, I pray that we'll never take that for granted again. Father God, I pray for all the burdens that we're holding on to. God, I pray that wherever we are when we're watching this, God, that we'll just bring it to the, the foot of the cross, that, that our debt's been paid, that Jesus paid it all because we couldn't afford the bill. Jesus, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for doing this for me, for doing this for us. I pray that this would impact our lives, that today, this would no longer be just a story, that we'd recognize the historical impact, God, and that this would be such a personal event in our lives that we'd be changed forever. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus.